Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you seen Friends before? Yeah. Probably most of us have at one point or another. Uh, the, uh, it's, it's getting kind of a resurgence lately. If you've seen the, you know, t-shirts these days, I see uh, wooden signs in front of houses. And it's on daytime TV an awful lot, and I know this because uh, there's a number of my shut-ins who like to watch it. And it doesn't seem like what, it matters what time I'm there, it's always on. I'll walk into a door and, uh, uh, and I'll hear the opening theme song. You remember the opening theme song, right? I'll be there for you, that one. It's a great song and a great introduction to the show because really it's kind of what the show is about, right? A group of friends who are there in each other's lives through thick and thin, no matter what happens. They're present. They're there. And presence is a very powerful thing. Kind of is what the show is centered around. And it's actually a key theme in Scripture, too. It's one that we don't talk about very often, the presence of God. But it's actually one of the most basic concepts of our faith and one of the most important ones, too. As I said at the beginning of the service, we're wrapping up this Back to the Basics Bible study today, and uh, we're, we're talking about the end. We're talking about the new creation, the last stop for us. And when we talk about the new, new creation, what we often say is stuff like, well, it's a place without sin. It's a place without suffering. And those things are true. And in fact, they're really, really important things also. But here's the thing. They're only true of the new creation because God is present in the new creation, because God is there. And in our reading from Paul this morning, from Romans 8, that's the heart of his message. The heart of his message is the presence of God. So when we talk about the end, the resurrection, we talk about the presence of God an awful lot. But we also speak, in, in, when we talk about the presence of God and other things too, we talk about what we call the now and the not yet. And what that means is, there's a sense in which God is here, God is present right now. But it's different than it's going to be at the end. There's a sense in which the fullness of the presence of God doesn't come until the resurrection. And so as we talk about the end, some of the questions that usually come up are, well, you know, how is God present here and now? How is he going to be present in the end? And what does all this stuff matter for us in our lives right now? So we're going to look kind of at three things. We'll talk about the hope of presence first and then the promise of presence. And then I want to talk about the task that comes along with presence. Hope always looks forward. That's our first step for today. Hope always looks at what's in the future. But hope also changes how you deal with the present. Some of the most important leaders of the last century have known this and known it well. Nelson Mandela, when he was reflecting on some of the changes that happened in South Africa and how he led them, he said this. He said, I never lost hope that this great transformation would occur. And Martin Luther King Jr., when he was uh, leading the civil rights movement, said this. He said, we must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. Why they talk about hope? Because they knew that hope changes how you look at the world. Hope changes what happens right now. Paul knows this too. In fact, he talks about our perspective on earthly things in Romans 8.28, one of the most famous verses uh, of our reading for this morning. He says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. If you went to school here, you probably had to memorize that verse at one point or another. If you went through confirmation, it may have been your confirmation verse because it's a really common verse that we use for confirmation. It's a beautiful verse. Lots of Christians love this verse because it's just overflowing with hope. But when we look at it, we often, uh, we often take this verse and kind of apply it to our individual circumstances. And what I mean is this. A lot of people would say the message of Romans 8.28 is something like this. When bad things happen in your life, don't worry. God is going to bring something good out of them. Not a bad thing to hope for. Not a bad thing to want. Not a great thing to say to somebody who's going through difficult things. But it's not a bad thing to hope for if you're in the middle of difficult stuff or if you look back on difficult things. It is hope. It's a hopeful message, but it's a lesser hope than what Paul is really talking about in Romans 8, 28. If you read the rest of the chapter, he's talking about the end. He's talking about God using everything that happens in history to move all things toward the last day, toward the good the ultimate good of the new creation. He's talking about God moving things to a day when there, there's nothing bad ever that happens again because of the presence of God. And that's the true hope, the full hope of the Christian faith. We make the mistake sometimes of, of, of clinging to a lesser hope, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not the fullness of what God has for us. This happened to me last year, just before my dad died. He, uh, he was really sick, and as a result, uh, you know, I found myself in a situation that, that I've walked with some of you guys through and, and that I'm sure a lot of you guys have been in, and that was I wasn't sure exactly what to pray for at that point. You know, I didn't want my dad to die, of course, but I didn't want him to suffer either, so I was kind of caught between two things, and you're in this strange position of wondering, what do I pray to God for at this point? It seems kind of weird to ask God to take somebody, uh, take our, our loved ones to heaven, but, but on, the same, on the other hand, you know that they're going to be in heaven with Jesus. You know that suffering is not a good thing. So many of us, and, and, and I did this last year too, many of us end up praying that, that God, you know, just take my loved one and the suffering, take him to be with you, take him to be with Jesus, and there's hope there. There's even hope of the presence of God there because we're asking God to take our loved ones to be with Christ. In fact, Paul even talks about this in other places. So this is from 2 Corinthians 5. We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away, and listen to that, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Being away from the body and in heaven, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. Paul himself says here that it's something to be preferred, to be with God, to be with Christ. But it's still a lesser hope than what he's talking about in Romans chapter 8. Why? Because the promise is for more than just heaven. The promise is for more than our spirit to go and be with Jesus. The promise is for resurrection. The promise is that you and I are going to rise from death, body and soul together, and we're going to live here on a new earth, a new creation, a place without sin, the kind of place that this place was created to be. And here's what it'll look like. This is, from, uh, uh, this is John writing in Revelation 21. He says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. That's us, by the way. When he says the new Jerusalem, he's not talking about a literal city. He's talking about the church. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God. And listen to this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's presence, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. On the last day, it's going to be the first day of a new world. It's the dawn of something different. It's the dawn of a world where God dwells with us. Just like he did with our first parents, Adam and Eve, back in the Garden of Eden before the fall. We're going to see the dawn of a world without suffering and without mourning and without loss. That's the promised hope. That's the fullness of the gospel. That's the greater hope than the ones we sometimes cling to. So back when my dad was in a hospital, the most hope-filled prayer that I could have prayed was, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, because that's what we all really want, right? What we all really want is to live together in the presence of God. What we all really want is to be in the perfect promised presence, which means that all that other stuff is true too. The presence of God means the absence of suffering. The presence of God means the absence of loss. The presence of God means the absence of grief. The presence of God means the absence of fear. The presence of God is the promise of the new creation. That's the not yet. Remember the now and the not yet? That's the not yet. We're not there yet. We're not there, but we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Get us there quickly, because that's a better thing than what we have here today. And that's something we pray, and it's something the saints in heaven already pray for, too. It's something that we wait for together. It's the not yet, but there's a now, too. We have the presence of God right now. In fact, Paul says that in our reading. The other real famous verses of Romans 8 are talking about exactly that. Listen, this is verses 38 to 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If nothing can separate you from the love of God, that means he's with you means he's present and he's not going anywhere. He's present and he's working. He does that through his word. He's present and he's working through his body and blood in with and under the bread and wine that we're going to take in just a few minutes. He was present with you in the waters of your baptism. He's present with you as a person of faith in your heart wherever you go and nothing, Paul says, nothing, not sin, not suffering, not even death itself can separate you from God. In fact, Jesus says this himself. It's the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the last words in the whole book. I am with you always to the very end of the age. <clears throat> I'm with you always until we all get to the new creation together. That's the promise of presence right here and right now. It's the final words of the Gospel of Matthew. So he doesn't say anything after that, but you know what he says right before that? He says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. We know that as the Great Commission, right? It's tied together with the promise of presence and see, that gives us a task, it gives us a job to do, it gives us a mission here in the world. We become part of the plan of God to move all things together toward the good, toward the last day. You become part of that plan. And it means speaking the gospel to people for one thing. That's true. That's what we think of when we think of the Great Commission, speaking the gospel to the people around us. And we get to do that. We get to be part of the plan. We have to do that. It's what we're commanded to do. And we have to do it because people don't figure out the faith without it. If we don't speak the gospel to them, it's the spoken word through which God works. People don't just reason out the Christianity, the Christian faith. You've got to speak it to them. You've got to speak the word. And, you know, when, when I say that from the pulpit, and when we talk about evangelism in that way, we often also get worried about what to say. You know, what do I say to somebody? How do I speak the word? What do I say to somebody to make them believe? As if it were up to us. That's not our job. Speaking is our job. Scripture makes clear that we should do our best when we're talking to somebody. But converting people to the Christian faith, that's not our job. We stay in our lane. We speak God's word. We tell people what God has done for us. But the Holy Spirit is is the one who converts. He's got that part covered. That's not up to us. But here's the thing. When we think of the Great Commission, we, we talk about speaking the word, and that's important. But most of ministry happens before you ever open your mouth. Most ministry happens before you say anything at all. One of my Sen profs, I, I liked how he said this. He called it the ministry of presence. In other words, a big part of what we do as Christians is actually really simple. Just be there. Show up. That's 80% of it. The task of of the presence of God, the thing that we are tasked with, a big part of it is the ministry of present. Being present for people like God is present for us. Show up. Remember the friends theme? I'll be there for you, right? When the rain starts to pour, that's good advice. And not just for being a friend, it's actually what we do as the church. It's a big part of the Great Commission. The time will come in those relationships where you get to speak the gospel. And God will use you when it does. He'll use your words when it does, no matter what you say. In the meantime, just be there. Be present. You're not sure what to say at funeral visitations? I go to them all the time. I'm never sure what to say either. And guess what? Here's the secret. Nothing you say is going to fix the situation. Just be there. Just be present. Not sure what to say when somebody's in the hospital? Be there. Be present. In the room, on the phone, however you can be there, be there. Not sure what to do or what to say when somebody's going through something that you don't really understand? Be there. Show up. And show them that nothing can separate them from your presence, from your love. And when they ask you why, when they ask you why you're walking through it with them, That's when you say, because nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. But in the meantime, be there. Be in their homes, be on their phones, be in their lives. Be there for people. Be present. Be present the way the God of all creation is present for you. Today, tomorrow, and in the new creation forever 
and ever. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds, keeping them steadfast in Christ Jesus.